Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Julie Bowen. I'm Chad Sanders. And this is Quitters the Podcast. Who are we talking to today? We're talking to Sam Richardson. And I feel like we both got two very different experiences out of that one. What I was most struck by was how being a Ghanaian immigrant influenced the way that he behaves here in America as a Black guy. That was really interesting. And people know Sam as a comedy actor from After Party and The Tomorrow War and, of course, Veep, where I think people first got to know him. Great improvisational guy, but really very smart. Sharp. Yeah. I mean, we say it a few times, but very confident guy. And I don't know, for me, sometimes when I see someone or hear someone who's so confident, honestly, I even feel this with you sometimes. I'm like, how do you be like that? And <laughs> no, seriously, like, how can that be real? How come some people are like that and others aren't? I don't get it. Yeah. He has a really interesting life story, and it really is all wrapped up in this big tortilla of confidence and assuredness that does not go with the characters he plays. Yeah, I mean, just like a show thing, you know, because we're learning how to do this. And that was one where I didn't really know how to be as a host in that interview, because I think he came with some very fully formed thoughts and he knew how to represent them. And it seemed like you had a handle of the direction of the conversation. And it was one of those moments where I think back to our Monica Padman interview, where I'm just like, I don't know where to put my hands. I don't know who to be right now. It was really challenging. That's like the most vulnerable thing that you could possibly say, Chad, and it's why I love you. I'm like, wow, it takes a lot to sort of say that and just put it out there. But I think we're both learning and we're trying to be better at what we do and we're trying to overcome old patterns and quit feelings of insecurity and shame. And mm. you being vulnerable like that means a lot to me. So thank you. Here he is, Sam Richardson. Hi, Sam. Welcome to Quitters the Podcast. I'm Julie. We've never met. We've never met, but I'm so excited to meet you. Thank you. I'm Chad. What's up, man? Hey, Chad. Not too much. Sam, you are very good looking. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate that. I don't want to objectify you, but I'm going <laughs> to briefly objectify you. You don't look different. I feel like they don't do you different in TV, but what's happening today? <laughs> Funny enough, I've lost like 40 pounds over the past couple of months. Wow. Oh. Also, I feel like in most things that I do, they lean towards the nerdier side. And even as Richard Splett, I was always wearing like very loose, baggy clothes. I think people assume that I am like 
300 pounds, you know? <laughs> no, really? No, because I'm watching After Party right now, and congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you very much. And you are a romantic lead in that. Yes. You are the romantic lead, <laughs> but they still lean into the really awkward, nerdy chemistry class guy. Mm-hmm. And what I see before me has chiseled cheeks and a <laughs> fearsome jawline. And I just would like to say... As long as you're healthy and well, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's a byproduct of a conscious diet and not treating myself every five seconds. So I don't need to eat like one cake a day. Why'd you do that? Well, for a number of reasons. One being to get out of that sort of nerdy friend category, which I think people would put me in automatically. Two, health. I have a family of diabetics. The sooner I could, the better. Three, I've always been curious about it. I've always like tried to lose weight and I always tried to be more healthy, but then I always tried to self-educate on that sort of thing. And it's never helpful. And I've just watched myself steadily grow. I used to have this metabolism where I could eat anything, Yeah, you know, eat like two dinners and be like, yeah, it's fine. And then just very slowly that halted to a stop. And then I just watched the scale go a little bit more, a little bit more. My old driver's license lie used to say 210. Well, I'm really like 2.30. And so then I changed my driver's license maybe about three months ago. And I was like, all right, let me update my driver's license lie. All right, 2.30. Meanwhile, I was 2.45. So I was like aspirational. But now I'm around like 2.05. So both of those are now inaccurate. Also, I looked not as heavy as I was. It was like one of those things where I could fool myself and then like I get on the scale and I'm like, wow. I never thought you looked heavy at all. I just noticed today that you didn't look the same as the last time I saw you on screen, which was last night. Yeah. And I was going to say congratulations on being a romantic lead. Thank you. I'd read that that was something you wanted. And let's face it, you nailed it at 250. Imagine (laughs) what you're going to do at 205. We'll see. (laughs) I don't mean to sound like Not body positive. Yeah, exactly. Body negative. Fat shaming. Not to be body negative or fat shame, but the way I felt and the way I look or the way I imagined myself to look and the way I actually looked were different than what the reality was. And they say you're not supposed to fit in the clothes. Clothes are supposed to fit on you. But the way they make clothes and the way I love clothes... I want to be able to fit into clothes that I like, ah. you know, and now I do. And I'm like, oh, all right. Some of these aspirational clothes aren't in style anymore. So I got rid of them. But it's nice to be able to put them on before I got rid of them. Like skinny jeans. The skinny jeans. Skinny suit. Skinny suit. It'll all come back. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you say you educated yourself, I am thrown into a nightmare of my father educating himself and then having to talk endlessly about 
it's so easy to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I said, why is it so easy? Aren't you hungry? He goes, no, you just eat your regular meals. And then afterwards you have a shake. Mm -hmm. I said, no, dad, I'm pretty sure (laughs) (laughs) that that isn't how it works. Or there would be no such thing as obesity if really all you had to do was drink a shake after you ate. He goes, guess I'm doing something wrong. So I was always amazed at how guys aren't indoctrinated into all of this health and nutrition stuff. I feel like girls start reading labels when they're little kids. Mm -hmm. Were you just raised on, yeah, don't worry about it? I was heavily raised on don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, when I was a little kid, I was like skinny as a toothpick. To the point where my parents not tease me, but they're like, whoa, you can see your ribs. Yeah, I guess I can. But then I lived in Ghana as a kid and I always would just crave McDonald's. I'm like, oh, I want to go back to Detroit have McDonald's, have all that stuff. So I got back to Detroit and then just flooded with all these American fast foods and the discovery of chocolate milk. Whoa. So I went from being skinny kid to then being chubby kid. In fact, I remember I was at my fourth grade, maybe fifth grade birthday party. So what's what's that like? Like 11. And it's in Detroit and it's going to be a pool party at a hotel. I was so excited for it. And I remember putting on my bathing suit in a mirror and I was like, huh? (laughs) So I like went <laughs> crying to my dad. I was like, Dad, what? We got to cancel this party. We can't do this. Did you know I'm fat, Dad? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? And my dad was like, oh, well, it's not a big deal at all. But trust me, when you hit puberty, your body's going to morph into your favorite Power Ranger, Jason. You're going to look like him. And I was like, he's not my favorite Power Ranger. My favorite Power Ranger is Billy. The, <laughs> the sentiment still. I'm like, oh, that's really great. Thank you. So we had that birthday party and I wore a t-shirt. That way no one will know. We're swimming and there's some other young girls, 11, 12. They're also maybe 13, 14. Young, young person flirting. And then this girl's like, why are you wearing a t-shirt in here? Take it off. And I was like, uh, nervously, took off the shirt. And then she was like, yeah, see? And I was like, oh. At ease. So then I became fully fine with my body at that time, even though still it wasn't what I wanted then. Before high school, as a matter of fact, I was also asthmatic. So in gym, I was not the most physically fit. I went to a very small school, maybe about 15 kids in a class. We knew each other so well. We would do the mile run, and I started out as being the slowest. And then very steadily, as puberty kind of set in, moved forward and forward and forward. Then I went to being the fastest. And then also my body kind of morphed into, like my dad said. Like Jason the Power Ranger. Like Jason the Power Ranger, who was not my favorite, but I still appreciated him. (laughs) Perfect. Ready for high school. Into high school, my dietary habits never change. So I was just able to eat, eat throughout high school. And then into college, my dad opened an Outback Steakhouse. Oh, a Bloomin' Onion. Bloomin' (laughs) Onion, you know? Yeah, I love a Bloomin' Onion. (laughs) And I was eating two, three steaks in a sitting. What? You know, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. My body is holding up just fine. A little bit of padding over that, but still fine. But you obviously made a decision to get off this train. What inspired you? Just watching as my clothes just didn't fit. Like, even clothes that were the exception. I went from being 42 jacket, 42 is pushing it, 44. All right, now I'm steadily in a 44. And then 44, let's lose that dream, 46. Oh. And then 46 started to be like, huh? And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. You know, if you're filming something and you do the wardrobe fitting, oh, yeah. they ask you for your sizes before. Yeah, it's kind of like your license. <laughs> exactly. And you tell yourself, I know this because at some point I was this size. And then they have the sizes and, oh, this doesn't fit. 
and that doesn't fit. Weird. All these styles must have the wrong sizes on them. And then it just kind of gets to the point where, oh, equating that to the actual weight on the scale that's rapidly growing, I just didn't want to feel like that and to look like that. And also, I want Marvel to call me one day and be like, congratulations. If they knew you had a Captain America shield in your room right now, they might be more inclined. Yeah. Isn't there a thing about abs not being good for funny or something like that? Isn't there a paradox there? I mean, that's something I truly used to believe. But now as I watch all the action stars be in all the comedy movies, I'm like, well, that doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore. Yeah, I don't think Dwayne The Rock Johnson got that memo. You know, <laughs> name the top five big guy comedy stars. Chris Pratt, who was our dad bod yeah. representative. Yeah. And then he's like, no, actually, I'm going to go get ripped as shit. And Kumail Nanjiani. Oh, my God. He's my pal. And he looks so good. His body is that of a superhero. Right. But I've heard him talk about how he got there. And it sounds almost obsessive. And he makes it funny. Yes. He's a comedian. Yeah. But he's like, I'm unbearable to be around. All I do <laughs> is talk about getting swole yeah. and protein shakes. <laughs> so when you just decided to lose some weight and I'm getting into this because we're all about quitting something. Yeah. But truly, I had to get rid of some things temporarily, but then you realize the dependence on it, like sugar. I stopped eating sugar and then slowed down on carbs a lot, but the sugar was the hardest thing because just constantly feeding my body these insulin spikes. Yeah. I used to be like, I don't have a sweet tooth. I don't enjoy sugar. But then like, I look at how I eat. I'm eating sugar all day long. I'm drinking it in soft drinks. Even in the fruit products or the fruits that I eat, they're always heavily sugared. And so my body was just like, all right, well, then that's what we're going to draw from. Let's keep it going. I started doing that and intermittent fasting as well. So I had so many body reserves. People say that quitting sugar, it is really painful. What was that like? I had to wean myself off of it. But then once you do, your body doesn't truly crave sugar. It's just so used to having it. You know? Right. So then once I got off of that cycle, and it took maybe about two and a half or three weeks, because I did the shake thing. So two shakes and then a meal. But then with that, slowly just cutting out the sugar and then relying on the shake. I'm just going to drink a lot of water. And then like all of a sudden, I don't need it. I was working with a nutritionist as well. And her whole thing was everything you eat either is helpful for the body or damaging the body. There's nothing neutral. Not really. Either health promoting uh -huh. or disease promoting. Everything is. There's nothing that is truly neutral. And so thinking about food in that regard, well, I guess lettuce is good. I'll eat lettuce. I don't need to be eating fruit by the foot, <laughs> you know? Oh, man, I have three kids and my pantry, Chad has been in it. Literally in it. Yeah. Luckily, I don't give a rat's ass about candy, but yeah. it is fruit by the foot and candy by the yard and yeah. Skittles by the pound. They love all that shit. Yeah, it's so good. It's fun. It's also aimed at kids where you're just like, well, I have to have this. Otherwise, my life's not going to be fun unless I'm eating Gushers, you know? Yeah, it's colorful and joyful. Yeah. So what happens if your life is not colorful and joyful through food? How do you get your colorful, joyful stuff? I'm a girl and I've gone on a thousand diets. And when I'm hungry... I am not nice. I am cranky. You're a comedy guy. Mm -hmm. Did it make you bitter? Unable to do your job? Unable to be lively and think quickly because your brain is starved of glucose and you're miserable? Yes and no. I think one of my superpowers truly is patience. I can be patient through almost anything. I've got a very long temper as well. So lack of sugar and lack of caffeine and not be nuts about it. So once the dependency kind of waned and it didn't take very long, 
I was good to go. And it feels good. And now I keep a pull-up bar over like one of the doors and I walk by, able to do pull-ups. I'm like, oh, as if I was like wearing a backpack with stuff in it and I took it off and now I'm doing exercise. That feeling is so good. And watching that steadily happen felt so good that it felt better than being a little annoyed that I wasn't eating Doritos at night. You got rewards that helped to reinforce it. You get those dopamine hits from being able to do the shit that you couldn't do before. Mm -hmm. How did you get that superpower, Sam? The power of patience. I think as a kid, my mom is from Ghana, my dad is from Detroit. And so I would A, be on my own a lot and travel and be like the only kid so it would be about self-entertaining to a degree. And also you can't help but be with yourself in like meditative states, whether it's Buddhist type of meditation. It's like, no, I can just live inside of my head and be fine there. And also with that address issues, be it if I feel like my time is being wasted, I can identify why I think that or if it really is or if I'm just being impatient. Am I understanding that you can get in a meditative state in your life? Yes. And sometimes maybe that patience can be a bad thing. Something I need to deal with. I can live with it and be at ease. I can meditate myself out of cleaning my room. (laughs) (laughs) The combination of those two places, how does that alchemy equal who you are? Well, that's a good question. I think my confidence and my worldview come from two different places. First off, as a Black man in Africa, you are home. Nobody can tell you otherwise. And then also, my grandfather's a chief a very successful businessman. So we were also wealthy in Ghana. There was no fear of anything. Then at the same time in Detroit, a confidence came out of learning how America views Black men and Black people in America. Then having to come in terms of that and having also a very confident father sort of shaped my worldview in the micro sense. The macro view being I'm a citizen of African-American culture and Detroit. There are certain things that I cannot do and certain things that I should be able to do but cannot do, like interacting with police, learning that as a child and then learning that as a young adult then learning that as an adult counteracting to knowing what it's like in Ghana. In Ghana, I was like, oh, well, do we have a driver who's going to take us to this club? Okay, great. In Detroit, it's like, I'm going to drive. Oh, what kind of car am I driving? If there's an accident and I'm going outside to look at my car, that police officer is going to be like, get back or, you know. So this is a clumsy question, but it's a real one. Why do you live here and not there? Well, that's a good question. I lived there for first and second grade, and I was very heavily indoctrinated into American culture. The things I would consume media-wise. Yeah. America is the greatest salesperson in the world, so they'll make you know that you've got to be here. And then also, it rewards that with stuff, entertainment. And then on top of that, I think at about age 14, I was pretty much like, okay, I think I want to be an actor. I want to do something like that. That can happen here with the most rewarding to me results. Had I lived in Ghana, I think I would have a completely different career choice or a completely different path here. The difference was moving from Detroit to Chicago versus moving from Ghana to Chicago. It's a whole nother universe. But both of your parents were living in Ghana when you were a child? My mom was living in Ghana. When I lived in Ghana, my grandfather was passing and then he died. So then there's a huge funeral ceremony and service as well. He's a chief. Before that, I used to go back and forth, maybe come out for the summer or come out for Christmas. First and second grade, boom, we lived there. But my dad was in Detroit. But after your grandfather passed... You went back ostensibly for good to Detroit? Essentially, still going back for holidays up until high school. My parents would still go back and forth. I'd stay with friends while they were in Ghana. And then as I got older, my cousins 
all of a sudden, one day, they all just knew the language and they all were Ghanaians. Before, it used to be, oh, these cousins are English and I'm the American one out of all our madcap continental family. And then all of a sudden, I was the American and they were all the Africans. And I was like, oh. Wait, so they all sort of reclaimed that identity or they started spending more time there? They started spending more time there. They were there and they were in school. So they would go back and forth between London and Ghana. But that's an easier trip and there's more international people. It feels like London has one million Ghanaians in it, you know? Mm -hmm. But in Detroit, there's not as many, I'll say. And then being further into this sort of system... Well, college prep. And then I knew already while I was in college that I was trying to work in theater and comedy, hopefully one day in television. That was when I was in college. So the idea of going back, first, there was no time. I didn't speak the language. So I, the only time I could, could go back is if my mom was there. I don't want to say the connection or ownership of being a Ghanaian, but it was certainly not as easy as it is for my cousins. What is the language? Chui, T-W-I. Chui, okay. There are several Ghanaian languages, but my family speaks Chui. As you came over and started to take inventory of the new rules for you here, was that a conscious process as a kid? And were you tactical about it? Or was it just evolution and like a kid just going with the flow? I think it's the latter. Looking back, I can say, oh, these are the moves and adjustments I made. But at the time, it was just fitting in. In your career and in your work, do you feel like you draw from your roots in Ghana in any way? What I'm supposing in the question is the best way to do whatever you do is to be the most you version of yourself. Do you believe in that kind of stuff? Yes, to a degree. You know, I don't think like Jim Carrey was actually like the Grinch, you know. Right. <laughs> But oddly, he was exactly like Ace Ventura. <laughs> but he detective. was Ace Ventura. <laughs> but I'm going to say yes and no, rather, because any sort of performance you can do that is like informed by something that you know or something that exists truly in your mind that you haven't just read it from a page, but you can apply it to something, even if it's like a one-to-one comparison, it's going to help you be a better performer, help you to bring forward this character. But... At the same time, there's also like a knowledge that you have to have to know what to avoid. Usually the best performances of stupid people are played by very smart people mm. because you need to know what you don't know. A roundabout way of answering the question, I think it's both. <laughs> mm. I'm just thinking about all the characters that you play, though, are always, they're either very smart. Anik is very smart mm -hmm. in After Party. He is just smart. He's socially awkward <laughs> as hell. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> But he is really, really smart. In Veep, you played a character who was sort of like an idiot savant yes. in a way. You were almost like don't even know how smart you are. Mm -hmm. And you sort of stumble into being a politician on that show. And you start as what, like an assistant? Yeah, temporary assistant in Iowa. You always have that coming from behind thing. Mm -hmm. What happens to you if you do then become this leading man, action hero, and you can't kind of be the secretly smart one that is quietly stealing the scene from behind and you have to stand in front and take it. Does that make you uncomfortable? No, I don't think so. I think that I've grown adept at threading the needle in the background. Also, like part of the improv upbringing growing up was, all right, we're ensemble, so I'm going to fill in the blanks and support. But then also with that, I can trust other people to do the same for me. So I think go into that knowing that. In After Party, for example, as far as jokes go, I'm not holding the football the whole time because that's not my role in that. Yeah. In the day, it's a great ensemble piece. Everybody looks good. So I think as I hopefully continue to grow into this leading man thing, I'll lead. But at the same time, I'm knowledgeable and appreciative of how the whole cake is made. Yeah. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You just said something interesting, which is as you continue to grow into this leading man role, which we've been talking about since the top of this thing, and we got like a dossier. It just breaks out your whole life for us, basically. I see a couple moments in there. Another one of them being you didn't get the job at SNL and your best friend got the job. When I read that, I was like, oh, man, he must have been enraged. So sad. But now I'm hearing you talk about your patient superpower. Is that what you lean on when you think about becoming a leading man? Here's what's funny. Talking about Tim getting SNL and me not, I'd never thought of it as like a thing of being disappointed that he got it and I didn't. Instead, I was so extremely happy that my best friend got to do this thing. Then that just made it more accessible, it felt like, to me. Oh, well, now I can visit SNL and not feel like I'm a visitor. I'm just visiting my brother at work. Follow up to that. I think that's such a common way to talk about being and such an unusual way to actually be. To actually do. Yeah. How can you feel that when someone close to you gets something that it's not the same thing you wanted, but it's adjacent to the thing you wanted? That's pretty amazing. I guess I'm going to come back to the word confidence, you know, where I'm like, well, not getting us to know, I didn't think, oh, I'm not good enough. I never would let myself say this didn't happen. So then nothing's going to happen. You know, yeah, I'll never do that. I believe in myself. My parents believed in me. My friends believe in me. I want to interrupt to ask this question that I was going to steal from Chad because you asked somebody the other day. Yeah. Who gave you permission to feel so confident and good about yourself? What was the confidence that whatever you choose, you're going to be good at? Or was it choose your own adventure and we'll wave to you from behind? Or were they like, get out there, son. This is your chosen path and we are going to support you as an actor. It was choose your own adventure and then we'll support and whatever you do. And whatever I would do, there was aptitude towards it. And so I think with comedy and with acting, I was fortunate to find that thing that I was really good at early as a nerd and enthusiast. If I'm interested in something, I then just dive in and I study it. I try to know everything about it. Also, I'm the fourth of four children for my dad. And I'm my mom's only child, too. So that's a whole other thing. I am the most precious thing in the world to my mom. I can do no wrong in my mom's eyes. That sort of confidence of knowing that no matter what you do, that person is your biggest supporter, invaluable. And then with my dad, my dad is overconfident. Nothing phases him. My dad thinks he knows more than anybody else about anything. And so as a kid, you're enamored by your dad. He says he's the best and he's the best, you know? That sort of attitude certainly does push you through a lot of stuff. You're the youngest of four for your dad. Have you ever seen anybody disappoint your dad? Not like a true, true disappointment. Advice of his wasn't heeded, and so that hurt his feelings and then caused like a riff. But me being so much younger, 14 years younger than my sister even, oh, there was like also a tiredness. 
14 years. 14 years difference between my sister and I. Your three siblings, they're American. They are fully American. My sister's 14 years older. My brother is 16 years older. And my other brother's 21 years older. There is space. One of my brothers has his doctorate, two masters, has his MBA. He's like an overachiever, career student. And my other brother worked for Intel. My sister worked at a real estate development firm and then Verizon. Everybody's always been kind of set. Everybody took care of themselves. Right. To the point where also when I was a kid, like, I was like, I want to do the arts. My dad's also a patron of the arts. So he's like, yeah, sure. Great. Are you good at it? Yeah, then let's do that. I cannot imagine this. This blows my mind because I have three boys and they're all wildly different and made me aware from day one that I can't take credit for their successes any more than I can take all the blame when they mess up. Yeah. But as a parent, you want to. You see these kids as an extension of yourself. I'm learning so much from listening to you that just being positive... But at the same time, if one of your brothers or sisters had ended up, I don't know, an addict or dropped out of school and disappointed him, no one did. So it's really easy to say it all worked out this way. But what if they hadn't? Right. What if one <laughs> of them had become an addict? Then I think the eyes would have been a lot more like, don't mess anything up. But I think there was never that sort of feeling. Also, being my mom's only child, I'm also like this connection to this African history and royalty. There's like blessed spirit that follows me as my dad always says that. So I think there's confidence in like, follow that. Why would I get in the way of that thing if your grandmother's spirit is trying to push you this way? Why would I not let that happen? Wow. Just to bring it full circle, now I understand why we were reading up on you and looking at everyone. I was like, he's never really quit anything that you've shared on a public level. And you are kind of guided by some <laughs> spirit. Like, it does make sense. I love that there's a takeaway here about this kind of, I know it's hokey, but like, you had good parents. Really, truly. Of course, every person is going to look at this thing and be like, oh, my parents didn't do this for me. And of course, you can't help but have that a little bit. Oh, I wish my parents had really forced me to do my homework and study in school and help me get into college and all that. My parents didn't help me find college. Oh, when I come home with homework from high school, my dad was like, I did homework already. That's your job. That part was difficult. But at the same time, all these things led me to be myself. Shout out. <laughs> I think also you have such an admirable point of view on failure. It's not really a failure because it's not over yet. Yeah. This one's not a fit. The next one will be a fit. And I appreciate that about you. I look up to you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm so amazed by this patience and confidence combo that you have going on. One of your stock and trade things, when I see you on TV shows or in movies, you get embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Your characters often do embarrassing things or something horrible happens. Do you get embarrassed? Yes. Yes, I do. It doesn't fit with the confidence and the patience. And I would love <laughs> if you wouldn't mind so I wouldn't think that you were actually a superhuman. <laughs> what embarrasses you? Sometimes my brain won't think of words or I'll forget names. And so my dad used to say as a kid, I'm always trying to find the exact right word for something, you know. And sometimes that gives me a long verbal pause. Mm -hmm. And so then in that, I get like, oh, no, let me make my point. I'm trying to make my point. And so then I get a little frazzled. And then if they move on, then I'm humiliated. Or I'm like, ah, I didn't present myself as I am myself, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Like there's a lag between the you that's inside your own head and the you that you're presenting to the world. Yes. 
You come back quickly from these embarrassments in the past. I got to say, what were their names? Lydia? Lydia and Lamar. Lydia and Lamar. They crushed it, man. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. My dad's going to be so happy to hear this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing with us and being willing to get put on the spot by me asking you what made you embarrassed because you're like confidence in a box. <laughs> Thank you very much. My confidence level is an 85 out of 100. So that 15 still exists. And that is also grounds for like eating comedy soup. Mm -hmm. You have to know that and experience that. Otherwise, you can't do that. Exactly. But the 85%, it's still really strong. And I have to say, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Sam. 